Hi, Nada and Ritu. Welcome to the HTML Energy podcast. Um, and as you know, this time we're hosting it on the encrypted messaging app Telegram asynchronously over the course of the weekend. And just to jump in here, um, I understand you both collaborated on a recent website, www.maskon.zone which is a mostly text-based protest guide centered around anti-surveillance. So I was just wondering if you could tell me about how that project began and what was your role in creating it? Um, and then what tools did you use to create it? Hi, Laurel. Thank you for having Ritu and I on your podcast, HTML Energy. I'm super activated to see how the voice memo format will bring light and shape to our conversation. So to answer your question um, and your series of questions, maskon.zone began out of a, a sort of shared frustration among friends, Twitter mutuals, anti-surveillance abolitionists, researchers, writers, coders, organizers, and protesters on the ground like uh, Najma Sharif, Priya Prabhakar, Nasma Ahmed, Maha Ahmed, Rona Akbari, Ellie, Be- Ellie Bell, I'm sorry, and others who have opted out of being named in addition to Rithu and I. And we were all sort of coming together and under this shared annoyance and frustration um, and anger really of seeing white and non-black photographers treat protests and uprisings as sort of careerist opportunities to further their creative practice or photography practice while simultaneously endangering the lives of black protesters by making them targets to the surveillance state in the midst of what we're all witnessing as the sort of bolstering and mass proliferation and development of facial recognition technologies among other surveillance technologies. Um, And these photographers, like so many other performative quote-unquote allies, we see as integral extensions of the surveillance state and really feel a need to challenge this sort of performative allyship. Um, And not only that, but Zone is an ongoing effort to give a platform to resisting all harmful forms of surveillance surrounding protests and other collective actions um, by way of learning from historical examples such as Cointel Pro, which was an FBI program that actively and violently targeted black organizers, activists, musicians, and other public figures that continues to this day under different names. And so for me, um, and many of the other Mascon.Zone collaborators, we knew many organizers and protesters like ourselves who were kind of on social media, using it to disseminate information and receive information. And it just became, you know, this confusing jumble of, you know, which source do we go to, you know, which social media accounts have the latest sort of anti-surveillance tips or uh, best protest practices. And we sort of thought to maybe consolidate all this disparate um, anti-surveillance tips into a mobile-friendly website paired with a social media account that could easily be accessed before, during, and after protests. And so my role in the project was part researcher, part front-end developer, and part back-end developer. Um, We all compiled our research findings in an encrypted document using CryptPad. And then Rithu and I had a few collaborative design sessions over FaceTime and text where 
we organized the content into um, a design, which was mostly conceived by Rithu using Figma. And then I hand-coded the designs with Visual Studio Code, Terminal, a Node HTTP server, and Firefox web browser. And then later on, I constructed a pseudo-automated uh, sheet system on Google Sheets, which generates the content on mascon.zone through a Python script. And from there, Rithu extended uh, the mascon.zone backend with a tool called Jekyll, which I'll let her speak more to. Thanks for having us, Laurel. I think HTML energy is really cool, and uh, it's cool to like talk about this project and what we do on this platform in this way, and I'm excited to see what you'll do with it. Yeah, so um, Nada forgot to mention that um, she brought me onto the group, so I, I wasn't familiar with the collaborators, um, and I hadn't spoken with them, but I was added to a signal group that was organizing this after um, Netta reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to be involved. And um, for me, it was pretty interesting to be a part of this in general because I do like do design and dev work. And I also do event organizing that is like in the spaces of uh, like consciousness raising maybe around like surveillance and technology and big data um but i never really do design work with organizers um and like with abolitionists in this way so it was really cool to like i don't know actually be useful in a way that um i could which was designing this website um with such like amazing research done by the people involved like a lot of the times I work on things I feel like or I'm asked to work on things and it's not researched as well as I would hope but it was like just a really stellar group of people group of humans um yeah so like my role was basically designing the site then um building a database via Jekyll to work with the back end that Netta had organized and then um, create posts. Like Jekyll is basically like a blog, building a blog. So I created posts for the blog that um, spit out the front end I designed. And I use Jekyll a lot because it's really easy for me. And you can make anything you can make anything with a really simple backend cool thanks for telling me more about mascon.zone so i'm wondering if just in general do you think creating websites are an important tool for activists organizers and abolitionists um do you think the website medium is accessible to those people um, I have a lot of thoughts on this, <laughs> so I'll just say a few. Um, I think, like, during this time, um, the architecture of the Internet has been changing, like, so rapidly. Um, and, like, in the context of organizing, um, 
like tools like Instagram and Facebook. Mostly Instagram, I guess. I don't know who uses Facebook anymore, but there's been like a ton of useful information that's been hosted um, on the platform. Like, you know, it's like Mark Zuckerberg making money, it's uber corporate, but the proliferation and the circulation of information is like so accessible and easy when you're on a platform that everyone has and isn't like another website to go to. At the same time, like I do think that um, as opposed to images, websites are like an amazing way of spreading information because of how dynamic the information can be. Like I, I mean, personally, like I, I moved from graphic design to coding now that I look back on it, it because I was like a little bored with how static image making was like when you make a graphic for Instagram or whatever, there's like a ton. I've been seeing this lately when graphic designers make like assets on Instagram for um, good causes. There's a ton of comments telling them what they got wrong about the image, but they don't take it down and they can't change the image because of the nature of the file and the medium. Um, but with something like a website, like you told me a bug about it and I could fix it in like 10 minutes. Um, yeah, so I have like, I think that there's a lot of ways of, of looking at that. Yeah, the changeability of websites can, I mean, is such a, an important facet of them. I'm curious. What, what were some of the things that went wrong in the images that you're talking about? Like, do you remember a specific instance? I've seen this mostly happening with information that's either incorrect or disputed. So like um, someone I know who's a pretty like big graphic designer with a big following, like I know they posted an asset um, with a number that you could text to uh, get a message to a congressman um, about a specific issue surrounding defunding the police. Um, and the number changed, like the number um, that you should text changed, but the asset also had a ton of other useful information. And like, I noticed they didn't take it down and it got like a lot of, traction and circulation so I, I wondered like what are the parameters of usefulness and like usability in these kinds of discussions and contexts and yeah I wonder like what we sacrifice by getting information together rapidly even though um like Obviously, like, I believe that everyone involved has good intentions. Hey, so I think on the one hand, websites, just like any other medium or tool, um, and we can look to zines, we can look to books, we can look to text messages um, and social media for examples of how activists, um, which is a term I'm not really fond of, but organizers and abolitionists and other participators in any kind of collective action or struggle definitely use websites 
and these sorts of, you know, platforms to communicate their messages and sort of um, contribute to just an archive. When we're thinking about like an archive of resistance, I think websites and these other platforms are 100% like um, tools that have been utilized by such people. Um, I think the problem for me with websites and any other particular platform is that um, it's sitting on top of, you know, technology, very low level technology, we might say, but technology that we already have, which is just using our voices, using our networks of neighbors and friends and community members to sort of organize amongst. And um, I think some of the things that Rithu was sort of alluding to in this conversation about, you know, the static nature of Instagram and sort of like images going awry on Instagram is that um, you're sort of bound or chained to that platform. Um, And while there's some flexibility or some fluidity to websites, there are some downsides to websites such as, you know, relying on certain, you know, parameters of access. Like I need to have internet. I need to have a good internet connection. I need to know you know, if I'm an organizer, like I need to know who to go to who can make me a website or I need to have, you know, a certain, you know, particular site of knowledge in terms of building my own website. And so those are all barriers that, you know, websites have and other platforms have, you know, I think similarly, like Instagram took all of us a while to figure out. Um, Twitter also took us a while to figure out. Um, But any tool, regardless if it's a, a website or it's a zine or it's a, you know, a social media account, um, is just an extension of the already existing infrastructures of community and door-to-door organizing, if you will, that already exists that I think is the most important tool that abolitionists and other um, organizers use. Cool. Yeah, that's a really good point that all of these tools are extensions of um more like based communication methods that can actually be just as good, if not better, um, depending on how you use them. Um, Yeah, I was interested in the phrase you mentioned in archive of resistance. And it's, it's funny, I feel like this relates to a question I had actually written down before. Um, I'd wanted to ask you both about why mascon.zone was mostly text-based. But now, based on what Rithu said about the images and, um, you know, um, this ability for the website to change, I understand now why it's text-based. But maybe going to what you said, um, Nida, that, um, let's see. Sorry, one second. Um, you were, sorry, there's like some background noise. Maybe I'll edit this part out. Um yeah, a downside to a website is that there's all these kind of like things you need, like you need to have internet and maybe you even need to have good internet. But I was thinking maybe an answer to the text-based website is that it is pretty fast to load and that it will work even if, yeah, you can't load an image, like text is one of the quickest loading things. So all that said, websites aren't perfect, but it seems like you made some good decisions for this website. Um, which is a res- which is a resource, um, and resources should be updated and maintained. Um, anyway, um, hold on. I'm going to ask another question in another message. 
So I was wondering about um, both of your collaboration styles. Since when I first asked about the site, you mentioned that you both had some back and forth sessions. So I was just wondering if you could talk about your collaboration style on this website. And if you've worked on other projects in the past, um, what's it been like? Yeah, just to follow up on the, the previous question um, and the comment that I made about an archive of resistances. And really, we can think about this in another way, which is just an archive of resistance is a movement. And um, thinking about like maskon.zone, it is sitting on top of all this historical and ancestral knowledge pertaining to the movement for Black Lives or the Black Freedom Struggle. Um, and so there's a lot of sort of, you know, research and um, theorizing that many people before us, um, Rithu and I and other collaborators of Mascon.Zone um, have sort of pulled from. And so I think that sort of citational practice is um, something that we tried to be more transparent about or more clear about in the fact that um, in the way that you maybe can't be as transparent or maybe is not as common to be as transparent on something, you, you know, like Instagram posts is that these images in their sort of constraints of how much text you can put on them often leave out the citations or the references or where they're getting this information from, which is, you know, another, a whole another conversation to have. Um, and so thinking about just like the text-based nature of maskon.zone as a website, I think you're totally spot on in that, you know, we wanted to create a website that isn't um, resource heavy, that's not going to load, um, take too long to load. Um, and also in the sense of um, just like how Rithu and I collaborate, I think often what we tend to work with is text um, in some of the more um, oral history oriented projects. We've worked with um, transcriptions from interviews that I conducted um, and maskon.zone is definitely following in line with the sort of um, compilation of um, basically summaries of all this citational um, research around surveillance that I was referencing earlier. As far as our collaboration style goes, it's kind of funny actually to talk about how Rithu and I collaborate because we have a very chaotic <laughs> and energetic um, sort of like rapid fire, like iterating as we're going type style. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, we're both very much so like contract workers and have a lot of separate gigs in order to sustain our survival here in New York. So um, oftentimes when we're working on projects um, like maskon.zone um, or, you know, more oral history oriented projects, which align with things that we do outside of uh, corporations or outside of institutions that um, sort of just to the only way to put it is that they basically just support our living <laughs> um, and it's not really always you know centered or grounded in any type of passion or any type of deep engagement in work at least I'll speak for myself on that part um, so when we get to do projects like maskon.zone 
Um, I think we're often coming to those projects um, exhausted. We're coming to those projects deeply engaged with the materiality of those projects. And so um, I think all of them in a similar manner, just we, we sort of roll into projects, like we sort of like happenstance, like serendipitously, like come on some of these projects. Like for example, like um, Ruthie was talking about earlier, how um, some Twitter mutuals um, sort of like had hit me up about this project that they were interested in doing. Um, or rather actually it was that I saw some Twitter mutuals were trying to make a project and then I was like, oh, you know, I have experience with like web design, like I can help um, my organizer friends who are in need of like a web designer on this project. Um, and so, you know, then I was like, oh, this would be perfect to um, bring Rithu into as, you know, our collaboratorship is always growing. Um, and so MassCon was pretty much like that. It wasn't like we had this whole conceptualization period um, and then, you know, came into an idea together. Sort of we were folded into um, Friends of Friends project um, and just like helped out. Um, and with MassCon.Zone specifically, there were lots of like FaceTime calls um, with other members of the group. And then Rithu and I, since we were the two people on web, um, we sort of like had our own FaceTime sessions and quick iterative sessions where um, we were working in a, a collaborative Figma document. And um, Rithu came up with some designs like within a few days, um, I gave some feedback and um, we made some slight changes and then we sort of just like um, agreed that this was the design. And then from there, like I started coding the front end. Um, and then once we started coding the front end, we sort of like were encountering, oh, maybe we need to change the design a little bit here, tweak it a little bit here um, based off of like how it actually like takes shape and form on the web. Um, and we had some like some text discussions about that um, and would, would like and often what Rithu and I do just like in general is we we send each other things that um, we're thinking about like screenshots, uh, selfies or um, photos or just any type of like um, material references that we feel like is in line with the type of things that we strive to make or at least want to be or imagine ourselves being in conversation with. Um, and so we have that sort of ongoing thing between the two of us and our friendship. And then like um, when we're working on projects specifically, like we'll send each other like things um, as they sort of like develop in within the project space itself. Um, in the past um, for like I'm thinking of the oral history projects that we've done for the School for Poetic Computation. So the last one that we did was for Code Societies, um, which was in January of 2020. And similarly, just sort of all, there was actually this time, there was more planning involved. There was more intentionality and discussion around sort of the structure and maybe what the output would look like because the previous oral history project that we did for the School for Poetic Computation was for a summer camps um, in Detroit where we literally like, 
I was just like on the ground in Detroit and knew I wanted to make a zine, but didn't really know like what that zine would look like, what kind of content would be in that zine. And then I sort of just, you know, within the experiences that I was having in Detroit with the students and other teachers and other community members, I was like, oh, like, this is like an oral history project and we need to, I need to like interview people and like capture their words. Like there's no way that I can be the singular voice of what's happening here. Um, And so from once I realized that um, well into the session, I was like, hey, Rithu, like I'm doing this, (laughs) I'm doing these interviews. I need help like designing because I can't interview and design. And so brought her into that project and then with Code Societies, it was like, wow, we work so well together, just like um, on the fly. So why not see how we do like with a more um, like going in it, going in at the beginning, like knowing that we're both going to be working towards a similar end as like the Poetic Computation Detroit zine. And then um, just sort of being more, giving us more room to be more experimental, knowing you know, having an idea of this sort of compilation um, oral history zine um, methodology that we had created in Detroit, seeing how we could like build upon that with the Code Society zine. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really like we're still. I think it's really difficult to answer this question because we're still figuring out what it means to collaborate with one another, and we're still very much so experimental in the way that we approach our collaboratorship. It's always very fluid. Um, And I think the most important thing, at least for me, in terms of our collaboratorship is just like how our our friendship um, informs that collaboration and how like the sort of shared experiences that we've had um, within the sort of small tech zine organizer, uh, punk rave scene, like sort of like coalesce and like we are constantly like wrestling and like navigating through that in our work. Wow, thanks for all the uh, background information about your collaboration. I mean, I just want to say as an outsider, like someone who's observed the projects you've both done together, I mean, I know you've, I saw the School for Poetic Computation Code Society zine from last winter, I believe it was, and then I also if if I'm not mistaken, I think he worked on the tech zine fair website. Um, is that is that correct? Um, I guess I just want to say I've like really enjoyed the energy of what I see as experimentation um, in these projects and just like really curious to know more. I'm so happy I didn't have to go first. <laughs> I feel like, um, well, first of all, it was kind of a trip, like waiting for Netta to reply to that message because I also feel like I don't have the language like the faculty to quite talk about what we do and so I was interested to hear what Netta was going to say um yeah I I sent Netta this like page of this book I have and the page is it's from like this archive of zines in like Germany in the 70s and they had this like psychedelic page that said think of your dreams as realities. And I sent it to her and I was like, this would be an amazing class title, like a course title for a class we could co-teach. Cause I, I really feel like 
Ned and I have this like amazing chemistry. It, we we like we work together in this like rapid fire dream state. It's like, oh okay, like it, if we can understand that what that what we each want is fluid and always changing, how can we help each other to do the things we want to do and what continues to interest us rather than rather than like taking projects as straightforward prompts how can we turn projects into what moves us and inspires us at the time like during this time we were also um teaching a zine workshop um to teachers at the cornell tech program during quarantine and um we like to set it was like a zine, it was supposed to be like a straightforward zine summer zine workshop and what we decided to do is come put together a curriculum of that we're calling right now alternative zine histories and so we like i was very inspired so like i collected readings that i felt um really aligned and then netta collected like ida b wells posters um like pamphlets things that like aren't a part of the normative zine history that we think should be included and it's like every time i work with netta like we um our friendship informs what we do and i like it specifically with the zine projects and the course i'm talking about i think netta has like an amazing quality and faculty of being able to like contemporaneously synthesize what's happening in front of her and like what how she wants to lead a discussion and so with those zine projects like she was she was an educator in both of those courses for like a week or two weeks or so and then i was getting the material as the classes were happening and then i was designing a publication for the student showcase so i was like contemporaneously designing what Nada was bringing to me. And yeah, I think we both really enjoy like how invigorating these projects are, but at the same time would love to have access to like a grant or resources to slow down and like really think about what we would want to do together moving forward. Wow, um your collaboration sounds so beautiful and I love that you don't exactly know how to describe it but it almost sounds to me like you're like one organism together you know where one of you does one thing and the other does the other but you have to be working at the same time to like make it happen and i love the phrase think of your dreams as realities and i would totally love to take that course if it becomes a course or whatever it becomes Okay, so I just have a few specific questions about maskon.zone. Um first I was just wondering um about the mysterious but inviting dot shaped graphics in the lower right-hand corner. I was just wondering how those came about. And second, I was wondering about the colors that are used on the site. I noticed it's a kind of brown and red and um white, I believe, or black. I'm I'm trying to remember. Um I was wondering how are those chosen? And then maybe zooming out, I'm wondering how do you both approach color on the web? And then while we're at it about maskon.zone, I just want to ask is there anything else you want to share that we haven't covered yet about the website? 
maskon.zone. I really love this question. So the typeface for maskon.zone is a type called Tiny, which is from an open source foundry called Velveteen, which is really great and you should check it out. Um, so I, what I did was I vectorized the title and I brought it into Illustrator and then I like tore apart the type to make the design pattern at the bottom. Um, I tried a lot of different things, but that's what it came out to. And I think it's like, I felt like that was the final touch because I like I like this idea of bringing magic to websites, and I hope that everything I can make on the web has a quality of magic toward it. So I, I like this like mystical but inviting phrase because that's exactly what I wanted to do. The color scheme. There's not much to it. I mean, I just, I liked it. And I I think it's fun that when you highlight the text, you get a hot pink. And that was initially the color that we were going with, I think, to complement the brown. But it changed to an orange. So then when you highlight things, you get a slightly different orange hue, which is like a cute Easter egg. And I also want to add, I, as I'm making websites, and I think Netta can speak to this too, I really like thinking about how information flows. So for this, for this website, um, we used an encrypted note-taking website called CryptPad. So like the group had already organized all of their research into a doc on CryptPad. Then um, Netta organized the back end on Google Sheets, and then we exported the Google Sheets to a Jekyll back end, which then I hosted on GitHub pages and bought the domain on Namecheap. Um, so like, it's not, it wasn't, I wish it were a totally encrypted journey, but we had to host on GitHub pages for like resource reasons. Um, but the curved pad to signal to Google Sheets to Jekyll is like a fun journey for me. Cool. Um, thanks for sharing all that with you. Um, I was wondering just, it, I mean, it seems like you pick your colors intuitively, but I was also specifically wondering about the colors on the Rezo online site. Um, I know that you've published that earlier this year. I mean, I would guess that the colors of that come from and are inspired by risograph printing, but I was just curious if you had any words um, to go along with your color choice. I think I try to be intentional about choosing colors in general that aren't so cutesy, but aren't, are also like playful and aren't austere so I guess like funky is a good way to describe it I think it's fun to be funky on the internet um for the sounds about Rizzo website we worked together to select the gradients that we wanted to accompany the each page and it was really fun I mean the whole site is about like 
you know, it's gesturing toward what a physical fair experience would be. Uh, but it is a secondhand representation of a fair. Like there's uh, walls and tables. So it's really cool to think about the dimensionality of the colors and being super intentional about it. And like what, what made it look like the CSS ring tangle on the lower half of the screen was like protruding like a table. Um, yeah, I think there's like color on the web is so fun and I, Really, I'm really attracted to people who do it in unorthodox ways. Okay, so thanks for all that info on mascon.zone and how you approach websites. So now I'm just wondering, um, how did both of you get into making websites in the first place? And what was your first encounter with HTML energy like? And then I have to ask, um, what's your favorite HTML element? Hmm, I think I got into websites sort of in a, you know, a typical person of my generation, which was just having a MySpace, you know, customizing your MySpace layout. Um, and then that sort of that sort of practice just carried on over into all aspects of my life. So like, you know, it informed me wanting to what I studied in undergrad in terms of just like design. Um, and it later informed the industry that I ended up working in. And so, yeah. Um, but I would say that I didn't have, like, I didn't go to school to learn how to code until later in my life. Like I, I was a student at the school for school for poetic computation in the fall of 2018, and um, that's where I, I think I really solidified like my sort of website making coding practice, and 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 still in some ways like I'm you know not so solid on that, but I'm still figuring it out. But um, since then, I've been making a lot more websites um, and interested in making more websites. Um, in terms of my favorite HTML element, um, I'm gonna have to say the span. I really like the span because in other aspects of my practice, like working with like Python and working with um, JavaScript, um, and creating, like I liked, uh, I like to create a lot of text-based, um, compositions with code. And so oftentimes like what I am sort of uh, generating with JavaScript, I'm generating like HTML dynamically with JavaScript. I'll use the span tag a lot. And I find that span tags are really um, fun to manipulate and play with. Uh, actually scratch manipulate. I'm just going to say play with and tease out a bit. Span surprised me. Uh... Yeah, I started making websites a few years ago. I studied uh, media theory in my undergrad, so um, designing and coding came to me as just uh, interests and like ways I could make money if I didn't want to have a full-time job. And I'm definitely still figuring my way around both of those things and what freelancing means to me. Div would definitely have to be my favorite element. I think it's so special. It's like Div's a little home 
for anyone and everything. And I love like, I love the CSS style of flex and I love putting flex on divs. It's my fave. <laughs> wow, awesome. We have both span and div in the same chat here. The two generic inline and block elements respectively. Um, cool. So thank you so much for being on this very experimental version of the HTML Energy podcast. Uh, I just have one final question and you can take your time with this. So my last question is, if you could describe your own energy in just one word, uh, what word would that be? And if you want to say why, you can, but you can also just leave it at the word. Well, thank you both. Today, my energy is still. My energy is transcendent. Thank you.